to go to Romans chapter 12 today, verse 1, and we're going to talk about how humans change. How humans change. How many of you have some part of your life you'd like to change? Amen. That's most of us here today. We'd have some part of our life that we would like to change. Well, I want to explain to you from the Word of God how people, how we change. Sometimes maybe you don't know how we change, and you're planning on some, a magical process, which it is, a, it is a magical process. God does have a supernatural process, but there are certain buttons you have to push. You know, even like if you go to a vending machine to get a candy bar out of the vending machine, uh, if you just stand there and pray, you're not going to get a can- candy bar. Uh, if you just stand there and hope, you're not going to get a candy bar. If you stand there and wish, you stand there and curse, you're not going to get a candy bar. There's a process. You're going to put a prescribed amount of money in. You're going to push those buttons. And then you've got to reach into the little tray and get out what you've got. So, so, so it is with God. So it is with God. Uh, there, there's a process for, for, for enacting, for activating the Holy Spirit in areas where you want to change. A very simple process. I'm going to talk about three words today that activate the power of positive change. Change that will help you, change that you will enjoy, change that people that live with you will enjoy, change that will make your life better. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. King James says, present your bodies. We'll refer to that in a moment. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, there's a lot of things we could unpack there, but we're just going to unpack, unpack the one idea of change or transformed is the word that's used. For our life to change, we have to change. Even if you feel you're a victim of another person's wrong, even if you feel that personal change is still the path to all change. You are in a system with other people and you, you're changing will cause everything to change to some degree, but it will certainly cause positive change for you. Uh, this is why uh, we see uh, uh, in the Greek word here is, tra- is, is tr- metamorphe or transfigured is another word here. It, uh, Romans 12, 2 is related to that English word metamorphosis. The Greek is metamorphe. It's the way a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It's the way a tadpole becomes a frog. It's the way a lump of coal becomes a diamond. There's a metamorphosis. We're talking about gradual change on the inside that produces a total transformation on the outside. Transfigure. It's the same Greek word that is used when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus went up on a mountain one time with his disciples, and he had been, as we preached about this last week, he talked about his death uh, back in Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9. He takes him up somewhere in the region around Mount Hermon. He takes him up on the mountain, and he has a metamorphosis before them. Here, they, they are hearing about the earthly 
temptation and change. And he, Jesus is actually trying to change them. And what he, what he does in the process of trying to change them is he changes himself. That's a clue about how this about this thing called life works. That's a clue about how church works and how your family works. That's a clue about how your company works. That's a clue about how your social relationships work. See, the Bible says in Mark 9, 2 and 3, he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Jesus understood that their transformation began with his transformation. So what, why, why am I saying this today? I'm saying this today because I want you to get motivated and I want you to get excited about your personal change. I want you to get excited about becoming something wonderful and delightfully different than what you presently are. I want to take the the dread of that and the worry of that and the anxiety about change. I, I guess there's nothing that inherently, just naturally, we that we hate more than we hate change, or it's just uncomfortable. But I want you to I want us to change it from something that's so uncomfortable to something that we really embrace and we really get excited about. This same word metamorphe is used in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces, now it was used of Jesus in his transfiguration. He used this word in Romans 12.1 and 2. And then he uses it again, also very clearly referring to this process of change that God is putting us in. And he says, and he who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. So the power to change comes from the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, the power to change comes from the Lord. The power to change comes from the Lord. The word morphe means form. So it's not just an attempt to change some behaviors. Morphe is a becoming a different thing altogether, a different species. Uh, caterpillars can't fly, but they were born to fly. They were born to be something far greater than what we see crawling around on the ground. Diamonds bear no resemblance to coal, but they have the destiny, if they get in the right process for the right amount of time, they become something totally different than what they were before. Jason was probably about 15 years old, maybe a little younger, when I read some lyrics that he had written down. He never threw anything away, so it was always laying around. And I read this, these lyrics, I think they were laying on the floor, and they said, uh, I'm becoming too much like myself. <laughs> I thought, that, that just kind of describes the, the stuckness that some of us are in. You see, we're not naturally what God intended for us to be. We're not naturally what God intended for us to be. You can't, you can't tell by looking at a caterpillar that one day it will fly, that one day it will be beautiful. Aren't you glad the gospel is a gospel of hope? It's a gospel of hope. For, and, and the gospel is not just for uh, non-believers, non-Christians. The gospel is for Christians. The principles of the gospel 
I, I lean on the gospel every day. You see, here's something that I think we kind of missed at times, that there's some great teaching out there on grace, and some guys are, and gals are doing some great teaching on what I call saving grace. And that's the grace to when you are steeped in, a, in, in your sins and, and you're far from God, and that grace that brings you back into relationship with God, that's saving grace. But you know, there's a second level of grace, and it's called changing grace. Changing grace. You know, one of the reasons, one of the ways that you can know that you've received saving grace is you begin to have a craving for changing grace. You begin to have a craving to change, and you begin to have a real distaste for staying the same. That's one way you know in the evangelical vernacular, and it's certainly biblical vernacular, though you people don't say it this way anymore, you know you're saved. One of the reasons you know that Christ has come into your heart is because you're really excited about the process of change. You're really excited about transformation. And if you're not excited about transformation, then that doesn't, I'm not condemning you for that, and I'm not beating you over the head for that, but go back and pray for God to give you saving grace. Because this desire to change comes from God's grace. You know what grace is? <clears throat> you probably heard this definition, God's unmerited favor. That's a great definition of grace. That's saving grace. There's another definition that I, I heard years ago that I like. Grace is also <clears throat> the power to know and do the will of God. Grace is the power to know and do the will of God. That is changing grace. Changing human beings, though, unlike coal and caterpillars and tadpoles, involves our will. This is bad news and it's good news. It's bad news because oftentimes getting your want to to want to is no easy thing, right? There's a verse in the Psalms that refers to Israel's insistence on wanting what was not best for them. And that verse is God gave them the desire of their heart, but sent leanness to their soul. They were God's people, but they couldn't get their want to to want to do what was best for them. What was best for them emotionally? What was best for them relationally? What was best for them spiritually? I'll bet if we talked, really opened up our hearts and lives this morning, I bet all of us could find things that our, our home would be better, our marriage would be better, our work life would be better, our career would be better if we would just want the change that is necessary to make it all better. But something in us, we know, fights against it. I believe it's just that innate sin nature that we all have, even if we accept Jesus, it's still there. So uh, be honest. I want to make a starting point, and we're going to get into the, the real starting point in a second, but one starting point before the starting point is to be honest about not wanting change. That, that's a good place for some of us to start. It, it, but it's good news. That's the bad news because it's hard to want to change. The good news is because your ability to change positively and be transformed is, is limitless now. And it, it, it's, it's beautifully limitless. And it's within your power to initiate. You can do something about this today. You can do it. And I want to show you how to do it. I believe God is waiting on three things. 
Positive change in humans begins with number one, frustration. Staying the same when staying the same is no longer acceptable. That's the big, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's talking about when staying the same is no longer acceptable. The Apostle Paul is, is contrasting those of us for whom the template of our life is all set versus thus those of us who say, no, I'm not conforming to dysfunction anymore. I'm not going to accept the patterns handed me by my culture, my family, or my genetics. I, I don't have to handle anxiety the way my mom did. I don't have to manage anger the way my father did. I don't have to use food or some other uh, drug to medicate the way I've been conditioned to. I don't have to remain silent while injustice dominates my, my community. I don't have to do it. It's what the world's most famous sailor used to talk about right before he ate his spinach. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. That's it. I can't stand. I can't stand no more. That's the beginning of change in your life when you can't stand and you can't stand no more. And until you get there, you're not going to change till you get tired of being the same. The pain of staying the same has to become greater than the pain of change. It's a painful admission, but sometimes we have to admit, you have to admit there are rewards to staying where you are. When we're staying where we are, we're, is, is, is rewarding us, and we feel the reward you know, that there was that guy who laid on a mat next to the pool of Bethsaida when Jesus was ministering on earth, and he walks by the guy, and he's waiting, on, he's waiting on water to be troubled, whatever that meant. In that day, people would get in this pool, and something would happen to the water, and people would evidently get healed, or they thought they would get healed. And Jesus comes by and says, take up your bed and walk. I've often thought of that. I've often thought of that. The power to change within that man's willingness to get up and walk but I'll bet there were rewards for laying there. I bet people brought him food. I bet people came by and felt sorry for him. I bet, I, I'll bet he had friends who were laying on mats all around him, that he enjoyed their company. I bet there was a social group that he uh, actually looked forward to being with every day. I bet, there were, I bet there were a half dozen rewards for laying on that mat every day. And in that man's soul, he had obviously, Jesus told him, you had the power to get up. But you've got to get tired. You've got to get tired of staying here before you can go there. <laughs> I said, you've got to get tired of staying here before you can go there. Um, Bill Hybels talks about this. In fact, that, that phrase from the famous, uh, world's famous sailor I gave you a while ago really came from a message that Bill Hybels gave us that GLS. And I just wanted to pet, play you a little clip of Bill talking about going from here to there and reiterating this point that you're not going to go from here to there till you get tired and sick and tired and you can't stand to stay here anymore. Sometimes as leaders and people who want to change, we try to make you see how beautiful it is to go there, but you're not going to go there till you get sick and tired of being here. 
So, Bill, uh, I'm going to turn it over to a better preacher than I am. A few years back, uh, we had a care center that was off campus that was in an industrial park, and we outgrew it. It was inadequate in many ways, and what bothered me the most, actually, was that there was no waiting room, and people who were lining up to receive groceries and other services at our care center, in the wintertime, they would stand in ankle-deep or knee-deep snow, 150 people in a line. Most of them didn't have adequate clothing, jackets and so. Many of them didn't have boots. They had kids standing with them, and there were no restrooms. And I went down there one day just because I used to, on a prayer route, I would go through that neighborhood, stop and pray. And I saw that one day and I just said, this is not right. One of the most affluent churches in the world. And we're making our guests stand in ankle deep snow without jackets and boots and no restrooms. And we have a multi-million dollar comfortable facility here. And it, something turned in me and I said, this is not right. So I got a photographer and brought him back. And I said, I want you to take pictures of this and other pictures of where we're overcrowded and we, we can't store food adequately. So one day I stood up in front of the congregation and I said, hey, we have a challenge on our hands, Willow. I didn't cast a vision at all. I just said, we have a challenge on our hands. We have people, suburban poor, who need our help. And here's how we're treating them. And I put the picture up on the side screens of 150 people standing in a line, many of them without coats and boots and all that. And there was like a horror that went through that auditorium. They're like, no, 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 no. I said, look at the picture game. This is what we do to our guests. And there's no restrooms. And they stand out in the cold for an hour. What do you think about that? And then I show a next picture that was not a pretty picture. And the next picture. And you, you could just see people like, enough, please, we can't stay here, stop, you know. And I said, next week, I'll tell you maybe what we could do to resolve this problem. So the next week, I reviewed the problem again, said, remember these pictures? We could resolve that if we all pooled our resources and we could build an addition onto our current facility and we could have a lobby where hundreds of people could wait indoors where there'd be bathrooms and toys for kids to play with and where we would treat our guests with dignity. I cast that vision. It was in the middle of the worst recession of our lifetime. And people gave so sacrificially that we raised the entire amount for that building before we broke ground. And that was the final confirmation in my leadership life that the sequencing of the here and there dynamic is incredibly important. Don't start, even though it's tempting, don't ever start with the there. Start with why we can't stay here. If you stay where you are, what are the consequences of that going to be? How many people in this community that God has put us in will never know God's grace? How many will go to hell if we don't change? What's going to happen to your family? What's going to happen to your children if you don't change? Will your children grow up with the same 
problems that your parents had and the parents before them? Is the generational cycle going to continue if you keep doing the same things your parents did? Are your children going to have a Christian worldview if you don't change? Are your children going to believe in God and the supremacy of Jesus Christ? Are they going to be mere secular secularists and, world, and, and people with a secular, non-Christian worldview? If you don't change the way you're parenting your children. See, frustrated people seek God's help. Because this is not about self-effort. If you think this is about self totally about self-effort. It's about decision. Self, it's about self-making decisions, but it's not about self-effort. Here's what happens to me all the time. I, I am able to create problems. One genius I have is I can create problems with my computer that, that the smartest people around me can't figure out how in the world I did it. How did I get there and create that situation with my computer and the computer programs and the apps and all that? And I have no idea how I, and I will, I will live with that frustration because I'm embarrassed and I will just try to make it work. My computer's giving me error messages and I'll just keep, I, I know if I turn it off and turn it back on again, it's, that message is not going to be there. And finally, after I'll go, to, I'll do this for three or four weeks and just, just making this thing work. And finally, uh, I go get Josh Pellin and I say, Josh, I can't. I can't make this work. It's so embarrassing. I've been living three times, almost three times uh, more than, longer than him, or two times. It's so embarrassing. I have to humble myself and say, I can't do this. That's what, that, that's what frustration will do to you. If you, you get frustrated enough that you say, I don't care. I don't care who I have to admit that, that I have this problem. I don't care who I have to confess to. I don't care what I have to do. I can't stand no more. Just like my pre- presentation, you know, I mean, just like the, the Bible says, I meant to say, it says present. It didn't say, it, it, I like the word present, the King James uses, present your bodies a living sacrifice, because present is what you do with a gift. So you're not going, I'm worthless and I'm no good, and here, here, here's my life. No, it's, God, I give you this gift of me. It's messed up, it's screwed up, but I know you created it. And I know you created this caterpillar that I am to be a butterfly that flies. I know, you, I know this lump of coal that I look like that's not very beautiful. I know you created to be a beautiful diamond. And, and this, uh, this thing that I am is, is, is created for, this person that I am is created for something so much greater. That leads us to the second level. After frustration, we must begin to live another word, and that word is intention. Name the change and obsess on it. In 1501, a 26-year-old sculptor named Michelangelo was offered a huge sum of money to produce something beautiful from an enormous block of granite called the giant. Near the bottom, there was a major flaw that had stymied the efforts of other sculpturists who had worked on this project. And uh, Leonardo da Vinci, I mean, not, not Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, began to work on this, uh, this sculpture. 
And he decided to turn that part of the stone into a, bro into a broken tree stump that would support the right leg. And the rest of that block of granite, to everyone who looked at it, it was just a block of granite. He worked on it for four years and produced what we now know as the incredible, incomparable David. Today, if you go to Florence, Italy, you'll see a 17-foot tall statue on display at the Academy Galleria where people come from all around the world to look at this. How did he do it? Here's, what he's, here's the answer in his own words. In every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. I cut away everything that didn't look like David. What is your vision? What is your vision? What do you want your kids to be? What do you want to be? What do you want your marriage to look like? What do you want your church to look like? What do you want your ministry to look like? Jesus would ask people very obvious, people would, Jesus would ask people with very obvious disabilities. Obviously blind, obviously crippled. Obviously had a, a loved one who was dead. He would say, what do you want me to do? Isn't that interesting that Jesus would ask, what do you want me to do? Because Jesus knew it was so important that before, there, before the power of, of change could activate, he knew it was so important that people be able to articulate what they wanted him to do. You see, sometimes we don't want change. We just want to emote like a whiny child. You, you, ever, you ever have your child just be whiny? And finally, you go, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And you realize they just have a general sense of whininess and just a general sense of unhappiness. They really don't have a solution for you. See, God is, God is you say, I want God to have solutions. No, God's looking to you for you for solutions. God's asking you what would solve because you and God have to come together. The Bible says if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if, if we ask according to his will, he will hear us and he will grant what our request. He will grant our request. It's when my will and God's will become synonymous that power begins to happen. So that's why you must state your will in agreement with his will. Obedience is a key, but God can't give you direction without hearing your intention. <laughs> What kind of marriage do you want? How do you want your kids to turn out? What kind of impact do you want to have on the community? The pattern of this world is to, without thought, go with the pattern that's being set for you instead of the one chosen for you by God. I said, let me say that again. The pattern of the world is to go on without thought, to go with the pattern. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. The, the, what we naturally do is go with a pattern that's being set for us, that's being set by our genetics, been, been, that's been set by our family, that's been set by our culture. Instead of the beauty that God has for you. I hate to say it, but some of us need to be honest about the positive change we really don't want. And I think this is a minority. There's probably one and a half persons in this room that this is for. But some, sometimes people just need to get honest and stop torturing people.
by telling them, I don't really want to change. I don't really want the change that you're talking about. That way you'll stop tar torturing people who are trying to help that change happen. We do a lot of youth ministry around here. We've been doing it for many, many, many years. I mean, 20, probably 28 years ago, we, we started a program for, for kids, uh, for little kids at that little church on Grand Street. So we've been doing kids and youth ministry. And, you know, when we started the church in Grand Street, I know many have heard me tell this many times, but Sherry, I would go upstairs and I would play the keyboard and lead and worship and preach. And Sherry would go downstairs and Sherry had a, a, a blow up swimming pool. And she put, uh, she put the little babies that would come to church in the, inside the pool, and the toddlers would sit around the edge of the pool. So she had a nursery and children's church all in one setting. And so uh, we've been working with kids for a long time. And sometimes uh, we, find, we find the greatest success is when we get on the same page with the parents. When the parents want the same things that we want. But some parents need to be honest with, with youth workers and say, you know, I don't really care if my kids are Christians or not. They need to be honest and say, that's not really important to me. That's not really driving me that my children have a Christian worldview. I'm not really about that. That way the youth worker would know not to fight with you. Because we're trying to get kids to have a Christian worldview. We're trying to get them to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're trying to get them to be filled with the Spirit. We're trying to get them to believe in, 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 in what we believe is the Bible, of, in the wisdom of the Bible about creation and redemption and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. That, that's the Christian worldview that we're trying to teach them. If, if you as a parent, you just don't care, that, that please tell the youth leader, this is not something that's important. That doesn't mean we won't keep trying to tell them that but we just would be we we just know that we just know that you're not a partner with us in that that would just make that would just make it more all more successful right that would just make it more successful you know what the bible says up on mount mount carmel a place called mount carmel one time and when, when the prophets of baal met with uh, with the people and, and met with elijah and they had this big contest up there on the on the top of mount carmel and and elijah said something very important he said, how long halt you between two opinions? How long halt you? That's King James. I don't know the NIV or any other modern translations, Jeff. But how long halt you between two opinions? Indecision is one of the reasons we're not reaching more of our goals. I said indecision. If you will decide what you want and get very clear on this is what you want. You'll be amazed at how God's power will be released. If you decide, if you go home today and decide, our family is going to serve God. Our family is going to follow Jesus. Our family is going to believe in the time-honored principles of the Word of God and the wisdom of God. That is going to be our identity. I don't think some of you parents realize what a difficult culture it is for kids to go into today and maintain their identity as Christians. Because the identity as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is not being very honored in a lot of corner of our cultures today. And I don't really even understand totally what's going on. And what I'm about to say, do not politicize what I'm about to say. And do not put me in some far right 
corner of politics, because what I'm about to say is not a political statement at all. But I'm telling you, we're in a really interesting place right now where if your young daughter, if your daughter were to convert to Islam in America, she would be, she would be thought to be courageous. But if she stands up as a Christian, there are many, many, many corners of our culture that she will be, she will be persecuted and, 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 and pressured and told that she's a bigot. So parents, you've got to make up your mind. What do you want? Because the culture is not going to be able to articulate what you want. You've got to decide. How long halt you between two opinions? If you want positive, now, now take this principle I'm talking about, apply it to any area of your life. If you want positive change, you must declare your intention. You must name your intention and obsess on it like Michelangelo did with that block of granite. Amen? Is that okay? Is that, is that too, too shrill for you? <laughs> Third step for positive change. After frustration, and you move to your, you clarify your intention. This is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape. Physically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the gym. I'm going to get in shape. You declare your intention. I, I can't stand no more. <laughs> Third is affiliation. Build a team of love and accountability. This is all in the Bible. You, you won't change without these three things. You, you just positively won't change. I, I don't know if this is the greatest delivery of this material that you've ever heard. It's probably not, because a lot of, there's a lot of great speakers out there. But I'm telling you, the principles I'm giving you today will work. They will absolutely work. You, you try them and, and come back to me in 90 days and tell me if things haven't changed if you begin to do these things that are in the Bible here today. Romans 12, 4 says, Just as each of you has many body with many as one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Notice how he talks about the team there. It's the cliche that I've been using for 25 years. None of us have it all together, but together we have it all. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I cannot recall one significant positive change in my life that didn't involve me consulting with and collaborating with one or more people. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What you need to do to lift something that's too heavy for you is to get somebody to help you lift it. And I'm telling you, the positive change that we all need in our life, we need help lifting it. You heard about the, the self-made man who said at the end of his life, if I had it to do over again, I would go get some help. <laughs> Join the family of God. Join the body of Christ. The Bible says, confess your flaws one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess where you're not changed so you can be changed in a very positive way. 
You got friends all around you that are wanting to have. Now, some of them, have, they, they have problems too. They have things. I believe that God is so wired it. God is so wired the church. God is so wired the body of Christ that, that somebody else is always going to have some information, some wisdom, some gifting that you need. You're never going to have it all by yourself. Somebody else is going to have the secret to your healing, the secret to your change. Somebody else is going to be able to hold up the mirror and give you some perspective that you're just never going to get by talking to the mirror by yourself. Amen? It's not going to happen. You're not going to figure it out. I can't tell you how invaluable my relationships are. The people that I've got in my life, my, my pastor's group that I meet with every two weeks, uh, uh, counselors and psychologists that I still talk to when I'm troubled and I don't know what to do. D- don't When you run into a roadblock and you can't get an answer, that means God has given the answer to somebody else. And you've got to, and God has designed it that way so you wouldn't be arrogant. God has designed it to bring you off your high horse so you'll have to go to another member of the human race in order to get some information that you need to be successful. Why? Why? If this isn't true, then why do we spend millions and millions of dollars going to school? Why doesn't everybody just stay in their basement and get brilliant? Why does Tom Brady need a quarterback coach? Why do professional golfers go go pay tens of thousands of dollars for coaches and managers and psychologists because because they care about the bottom line. But too many often in our human behavior and in our families and in our churches and in in our personal life, we just don't care enough about the results. But when you start caring about the results of your life, you're gonna go get help. Amen. Somebody say amen. So I, so I, can, I can't move on to you. Say amen. Finish this sermon. Don Rockwell, Dan Rockwell, who does a, a thing called Leadership Freak, said the other day, tumultuous frustration precedes surrender. It is the kind of frustration that's really about one thing but touches everything. Recently, I was approached by an irritating other, a book agent. He's worked with some of the top leadership authors in the U.S. Anyone who desired to write a book would be thrilled. I'm angry. I'm not mad at the agent. I'm mad at everything. I've been at the point of surrender before. Yes scares the crap out of me. Surrender is the battle between fear and desire. The frustration of wanting something different while resisting change always builds to the point of surrender. And that's where we're going to close this morning, asking you, are you ready to surrender? Dan Rockwell goes on to say, you either surrender or cuddle up with your lesser self. (laughs) I love that. You either surrender or you cuddle up with your lesser self. By the way, metamorphosis is a beautiful lifetime process of more and more positive change. The great, awesome Ruth Graham Bell's epitaph reads, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) How many of you 
How many of you this morning are ready for the next positive change God has for your life? Prayer partners, will you come? I believe this morning could be a breakthrough morning for some people here. I believe God has ordained it to be a breakthrough morning. I believe God put this message on my heart. And I believe it could be a personal Holy Spirit intervention. I know the principles of God's word will not fail. I know the things that I have said that are based on God's wisdom will work. The Bible calls them the perfect law of liberty. And I want every person who says, Pastor Phil, says, God, I really need change. I want you to consider coming up here and letting these guys pray for you. Now, you may have other reasons to come and pray. We, this is called response time if you're new to Bethany. This is response time, so we invite you to come and be prayed for for anything, whatever's going on in your life. It could be a medical diagnosis you received this week. It could be a job offer that you need wisdom about. Or it may be exactly what we're talking about. You need, God has just brought you to the point before I even preached. You came to this service and you're feeling like God read my mail. <laughs> you're feeling like uh, the pastor tapped my phone, you know, without a court order. <laughs> Maybe you want to come down here and start that process of getting affiliated, stating your intention, and declaring, I'm at the place of desperation. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's change. Will you come and receive communion, serve yourself communion, and be prayed for today? Let's come. Let's enter to response time. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.